Welcome back, everybody. Episode 11 of Rounding Third, the baseball podcast. Today, Today I, consider I consider myself, myself the, luckiest the luckiest man, man on the face on of the, the earth. Honestly, we've been better. The baseball world is kind of we're just we're in a tumultuous spot, and I think that we've talked about this, Max. We're both fed up. Uh, I can only speak for myself, really, at this moment. But you know that this is just ridiculous. Um, you know, obviously, we're going to touch on the lockout for a second. That's what I'm referring to. It's ridiculous. It's a joke. It's a clown show at this point. Got some good news to cover. Got some things to cover today, but. Uh, I'm hoping to keep this a little more free flowing than we're used to and uh, just kind of shoot the stuff back and forth and uh, maybe discuss some of baseball, which we really want to talk about baseball. And it feels like that's the last thing that the MLB wants us to do, I swear. Yeah, and in per usual, uh, we'll put the timestamps in the description. We're going to rant a little bit about the lockout and the absurdity of it. So we're not going to get into any like economics. Uh, then we got some, you know, some retirements, some current news. Um, a big update in the Skaggs trial that we talked about last week. Then we're going to not break down, but we're going to kind of discuss the ESPN Top 100 all-time list that they created. And then in honor of the universal DH being put in place, we're going to talk about some of the best moments of pitchers at the plate when you know they kind of defied odds and were able to do something extraordinary at the plate since we are no longer going to get um, some great moments of pitchers batting. So I guess let's just get to the lockout. Let's get this over with. I mean, we don't really want to get into the details. They met today. Things only got worse. Pitchers and catchers were supposed to report a couple days ago. Spring training is should be starting. We're a month and a half away from the season starting. I don't think we're going to get baseball. I mean, this is this is really sad, and it's it's just it's like watching a train wreck. I mean, every time they meet, they get further and further apart. The owners are upping their arbitration pool. The players just may widen the gap. I mean, it seems like there's no resolve um, coming out of this anytime soon. Yeah, I think somehow we actually have gotten further here than we were a week ago. And I didn't think that was possible. Uh, but but somehow we're, we're going in the wrong direction. I'm willing to risk our uh, Hall of Fame ballot that we should be a part of. I believe I made that plea, and I, I imagine it gets honored. But I'm willing to wager our Hall of Fame ballot credential on the fact that we're the first baseball news outlet to call that the season's delayed. I'm doing it right here, right now. It's February 17th. Baseball does not start on the March 31st opening day that it was targeted. I'm putting it down there. We're going in the complete wrong direction here. And like you said, it's a train wreck. All we can do is sit and basically know the sport we love is not coming back. We have no clue when in the timetable or timeline for return is looking worse and worse as opposed to getting better and better. It's just, it's just really sad. I mean, it just seems like every time they meet, things get pushed further and further back. I know, I think Rob Manfred set some type of deadline for 
you know, if, if it's not resolved by this point, then the season will be delayed. And we're approaching a week away from that deadline. Um, you know, pitchers and catchers were already supposed to report and spring training was supposed to ramp up. Things were supposed to get going. Um, this was supposed to be a big time for, for baseball and the momentum growing towards it. You know, now that football's done, baseball will be the main focus. But it just seems like things are going in the opposite direction. The owners and players can't get aligned on anything. Manfred can't get anything going with the players. It seems like every time they meet, every time there's a meeting scheduled, as soon as it ends, all the tweets start coming out from all the reporters about what it was about, and none of it is ever positive. None of it's ever good news. Um, you look at Jeff Passan's tweets. He did a Ask Me Anything today, and you can kind of read through the long threads of replies that he was giving. Everything is negative. Every, nothing shows any sign of optimism. Nothing shows any sign of progress being made towards a new deal. If anything, they're getting further and further apart. It's just, I mean, in one, of, one of the things that he did say, which I think was one of the most remarkable things he said, was somebody asked him, what are the chances that the entire season is canceled? And he basically said, it's a good question and it's a non-zero percentage, right? You know, it is possible that it, the whole thing is canceled. And I think that's just devastating. I mean, we saw the NHL miss a whole season. We've seen the NBA miss large parts of the season. We saw the MB, the MLB miss a World Series. I, I, I mean, that's just, I don't think that'll happen, but I am totally with you that there's no way the season starts before April. No way. It just, I don't see how it possibly could happen. I mean, best case scenario, you're telling me the next time these clowns sit down after today that they're going to ink a deal, then you still have to figure out the logistics and mobilize pitchers and catchers, mobilize the full team, get through some spring training. God forbid they cut spring training short and now every one of your favorite pitchers is going for Tommy John, right? I mean, it's just, it's out of control. Like you said, it's a non-zero percentage uh I wouldn't be surprised if we miss it. And it's just terrible because the ones who pay the biggest price, I'll say, are the fans. You know, I'm obviously biased because I'm uh, that's my group that is getting impacted. But, I mean, I don't know. If, if you have a sport that has demographics that are shifting the wrong way on you, I think the last thing I'm doing is trying to miss time and trying to alienate even more fans. You know, my opinion, if I'm the MLB I work, no leaks, none of that. I work my behind off to close that deal before the Super Bowl. I try to keep everything under wraps and have a Super Bowl commercial in the middle of that game in prime time that just says, baseball's back. We signed the collective bargaining agreement. Opening day, April 3rd. That's the whole ad. 30 seconds. Bang. You do that, the MLB would have won the Super Bowl. Think about that. If they did that, the MLB would have won the Super Bowl. Instead... No, Super Bowl was great. Let's go check in on now. It, it's spring sports season. What is? Oh, no spring sports. No summer sports. No baseball. It's just, it's getting ridiculous. We're further away than where we were two months ago when we entered into this lockout. Yeah, I mean, totally. And I don't I don't think we need to drag on about this. You know, we only said we wanted to talk a couple minutes about this because of how just how absurd it is. But if things are not looking good, I mean, I think that's the only way to put it. It, this is looking like the season will be delayed, which is the last thing we want, last thing any fan of baseball wants. But that just seems like the direction we're going. I think it's time for Manfred and the players to just 
put on their big boy pants and get it done. I mean, let's stop fooling around with these federal mediators coming in. Let's stop changing the numbers. Like, just come to an agreement. And I get there are a lot of factors involved and a lot of money involved and different stakeholders want different things. And the collective bargaining agreement is a big deal that'll last a lot of time. But at the same time, this is all about playing baseball. Let's get the players back on the field. They can still negotiate the collective bargaining agreement and allow players to and basically end the lockout. But Manfred doesn't want that to do want to want to do that. He would say that the control that he has outweighs um, any negative effects that might come from missing the season. And so, I mean, I don't think we need to drag on this. Um, it's it sucks. I think this will probably be, unless there's big news, um, I think, you know, the lockout, I, I'm tired of talking about it every week. I mean, do you have anything else to say about the lockout? No, you know, I think you summed it up perfectly. And that is the only thing I want to reiterate is what you said, that the reason I side more with the players is that the MLB can end the lockout any moment they want without agreeing to the players' terms. Right, so this is just a weird leverage power trip by Manfred and his goons, as Marcus Stroman would call them. Uh, but, you know, I'm kind of with you. When the CBA, hopefully, knock on wood, eventually gets signed, we'll do a whole special episode giving you the details, bringing it in. But until then, there's nothing else. Until you hear that episode, there's nothing for us to talk about. So I'm done with this topic Uh I say for good. Let's uh, let let's let's move on to something that's at least a little more fun and maybe substantive as well. Yeah, let's do it. And as soon as the collective bargaining agreement's up, this pod and we're going two times a week. We're going all in for this season. But right now, it's just like it's a whole bunch of nothing from the lockout. But like you said, let's jump into some current news. We got three topics. Um, Three current news topics, then we have some other stuff we want to jump into. But the three current topics, let's start with the first one. We got another retirement. We've seen retirements um, in almost all our episodes because it's one of the main news sources that we can get. But this one's actually pretty big. Um, Ryan Zimmerman, Mr. National, 16 seasons, all with the Nationals. He was the first ever draft pick by the Washington Nationals after they moved from Montreal. Uh, spent his whole career there, including winning the 2019 World Series, which I'm sure everyone remembers against the Astros. Um, amazing series, amazing journey for the Nationals, even though they swept the Cardinals in the NLCS. Um, he's two-time All-Star, two-time Silver Slugger, Gold Glove, won the World Series, uh, slash 277, 341, 475 slugging. Um, great player. I mean, great story. Playing his whole career with the Nationals after being their very first draft pick and able to cap cap it off basically with the 2019 World Series. Um, you know, he was one of the players that, you know, you felt most happy for um, when you saw them win that game in Houston. What do you, I mean, what do you have to say about Mr. Nationals? You know, well, the, the one thing I'll just interject is you said, you know, of, of course the Nationals and route to that World Series did beat the Cardinals in the NLCS, but they actually also beat the Dodgers in the NLDS. Even with that fact, one to beat the Astros and then really be the team that started to leak the fact that the Astros have to cheat to win, that they absolutely have to cheat to win a World Series. Um, you know, I love that for them. But as for Ryan Sermon, you know, this isn't a guy you're going to see in the Hall of Fame. 
But you will definitely see him in the Washington Nationals Hall of Fame. And, and quite frankly, in some ways, that's such a great story, right? He's like, okay, I got, I'm literally the first draft pick by this new organization, if you will. You know, obviously transplant the Montreal Expos. But then to stay with them and win the championship. I mean, how many times in sports is the first ever draft pick or the, the first pick in the expansion draft or however suddenly does it? Do they end up actually winning a championship with that team? I, I would say this is probably one of the few times ever in the history. And he just, you know, for Nationals fans, when the years were bad, he was always there. When the years were good, he was there. He's just that consistent guy. If you're a Nationals fan, I got a couple of friends that are Nationals, so they all love him to death. I mean, he's up there as their favorite player. You know, he just – he is Mr. National. Yeah, and if you remember that 2019 World Series, um, he was I, – I, I couldn't pinpoint exactly when it was, but at some point in the series, he was, like, in a, in a bunch of pain, I remember. And he was taking, like, these cortisol shots or whatever they're called pregame just to, like, numb all the pain so he could stay out there. And he ended up playing every game. And, I mean, that was, that was, you know, showed a lot of resilience there. And just being with one organization for so long and the fact that, like you said, um, he was the first draft pick. How could you not, as a Nationals fan, love him? Um, but, yeah, <laughs> them beating the Dodgers, that, that Howie Kendrick grand slam and extras, that was pretty good. Um, Which that was a great, I will that say. That was a great series. It was a great series. That moment particularly was very painful for me because I'm a huge Howie Kendrick fan. He was one of my, as just a backup bench utility type player, he was one of my favorite Dodgers, one of my first Dodgers jerseys I've ever had. Um, at least, you know, in some ways it hurt. In some ways I'm like, okay, if there was someone to hit this grand slam to ruin my life, at least it was Howie Kendrick. Um, but, you know, yeah, uh, Ryan Zimmerman, I think it's one of those just a great career. I mean, foundational, you know, the, the stats are, are good, not great, but the story is perfect. You know, I mean, you can, as a, as a little boy wanting to play baseball, little girl, that's the dream. Like, that, that's really all you can think about, right? Be the face of a franchise, and he was. He's one of the more notable faces of a franchise in baseball over the last, you know, 16 seasons. So congratulations to him, you know, and I think for Nationals fans, it, it gives them a – uh, good time to celebrate him and, uh, you know, you know, just pay respect to everything he did for that franchise. Yeah. And, and I, I want to say a few more things about that world series run. I mean, <laughs> thinking back to that, there were so many amazing moments in that run. I mean, even the wild card game, remember they were in Washington, the brewers were there and Soto had, had that insane base clearing it was a double, but he ended up getting tagged out at second and third. But but he cleared the bases and took the lead in the eighth inning in that game. Um, remember the beer showers in the outfield stands. Then they go on to the Dodgers. They have that crazy back-to-back -back home runs off Kershaw. Rendon hits one, and then Soto just absolutely nukes one to right field. Um, then the Howie Kendrick Grand Slam, obviously. They just annihilate the Cardinals. wasn't even a series, really. And then, obviously, win the World Series. But that, I mean, that whole team, you had Scherzer, Strasburg, um, Rendon, Soto, Zimmerman. You just had a, a Trey Turner. You, I mean, what a, what a lineup that was. And I think that was – go ahead. 
It, it was a cast, and I think what made it great is it was one of those fun stories, right? The whole time they'd beat you, and then they're blasting Baby Shark in the locker room doing beer showers. I mean, that was, that was literally their song. I mean, they were playing the Baby Shark, do, 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 like that little song after a win. So it was just one of those teams where I think they got scorching hot at the right time. You know, they kind of came in together, and like, wow, the lineup was great, you know. They also, they weren't favored. They were not favored to beat the Dodgers, but they did it, um, you know, and they got all the way through, and they weren't favored to beat Houston. They shouldn't have beat Houston, keeping in mind Houston was cheating at least half of the games in the World Series. Still beat them, still exposed them, and, and funny enough, Houston, you know, it's only confirmed that they cheated in their home ballpark. The Nationals won all four of the games required to win the World Series on the road in that series, which is a interesting fact in itself um i don't know how many times the world series uh winner has only won away games i bet that, that right. may also be a one-off one-off stat but but you know it was such a fun run that it, it's near impossible like you said that's a team that steamrolled both of our team's world series hopes that year and you still can't hate them i mean it's impossible not to like them and i think ryan zimmerman is maybe the best example of that type of team you can't not like the guy I mean, is there anyone who has beef with Ryan Zimmerman in the world, and what for? Right, yeah, I think he kind of epitomized what that team was about. You know, his story and his arc was what that team was. Um, so it was great to great to see them win it that year, and great for Ryan Zimmerman. You know, good career. I mean, great career, great career. You can't ask for anything more than 16 years in the MLB, batting 277, got to play in the All-Star game. But kind of transitioning into our next topic, which is, Another Nationals player who we've already mentioned, Juan Soto, the 23-year-old phenom, uh, also in, obviously, Washington. He reportedly, before the lockout, but news just broke, he reportedly turned down a 13-year, $350 million extension that was offered to him by the Washington Nationals. His agent is Scott Boris, who we've talked about previously when we talked about Correa hiring a new agent which, you know, in the lockout days, that's the big news these days that people hire new agents. But Scott Boris said, um, quote, in, uh, about this whole thing, he said, Juan Soto wants to win. So the first thing that's going to have to happen is that he knows that he's working with an ownership that's going, going to annually try to compete and win. And then I think once he knows that, then he'll be ready to sit down and talk whenever they choose to talk. It seems like he's just saying that Juan Soto is not going to stay in Washington. I mean, if he wants to win, clearly Washington's not the place to be right now. Um, so just for some context, the largest contract in the MLB right now is uh, Trout at 12-year 426 um, that he signed back in 2019. Obviously, Scherzer's making huge money. Tatis recently, similar age, similar type player, signed a huge deal with San Diego. But San Diego's a lot different team than Washington right now. So who knows what will happen with Soto? Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, it's, it's crazy that I even am going to say this. It is crazy, but I think it's fact, and I think it's supported. I think it's good he turned on. And then first, let me actually start with this. Soto has confirmed this. This is not just speculative. Soto has come out and said, yes, they, they put a contract in front of me that was 13 years, $350 million, And yes, you better believe I turned that down. First of all, the crazy part to me is I think 13 years, 350 million is undervaluing that guy. And it's crazy to Agreed. me to say 350 million is undervaluing. But but when you 
Juan Soto is so good. I mean, I, you forget he's 23 because he's just that good at hitting that that great. Uh, he may be the best bat in the National League, just looking holistically. I mean, certainly up there on the short list. Uh, but yeah, 350 million. To, yeah, I mean, and that's it. And that's a down year for Washington. And he's doing all that. I mean, it's it's incredible. And he's he's a great personality. He's fun. He does his little shuffle. You know, he's always having fun. I think, and I love that. It to me, that's what makes the best baseball players you want to watch. It's the Tatis, the guys that are out there because they love baseball and they're really good. Those are the best ones to watch, in my opinion. But somehow, I don't know why I saw this thirteen-year three fifty, and like, yeah, your jaw should hit the floor. But mom is like, yeah, why would he accept that? I mean, honestly, he's getting Corey Seager money if he's taking a deal like that. And I love Corey Seager. I mean, that is my dude. But Juan Soto and Corey Seager are in different galaxies. And Corey Seager's a great baseball player. But, but I mean, Juan Soto is the type of guy who's single-handedly good enough to make a any franchise win. You know, you give him – you know, baseball, it's hard to do that. But if you can get some pitchers around him, you don't need much else. Um, you know, and I got to double down on your comments. I don't know how you can come out and say – the thing that he cares the most about is to win and then think he's going to stay in Washington. I, those two things don't go hand in hand. Yeah, I mean, clearly Washington's a sinking ship. I mean, they tossed Scherzer, they tossed Trey Turner, Rendon's gone, Strasburg like, can't stay healthy for more than five games in a row. They're just not a team that's really, um, I wouldn't say looking to compete, but they're just at a, they're not at a point where they can compete. Um, they have a pretty innocuous lineup. Uh, Josh Bell is going to replace Ryan Zimmerman at first. Juan Soto is really the main player in it. He's only 23 years old and he was a major factor on that world series team three years ago. He's 23 years old. And since he came into the league as a teenager, he's batted 301 with a 981 OPS in four seasons. He's only going to get better from here. He's a young guy. And you mentioned Corey Seager. Corey Seager is also, you know, three or four years older than Juan Soto. So he's got a long career. And I think signing basically your career away until you're 36 um, at this 13-year, $350 contract, I don't blame him. I mean, don't, don't you know, tie yourself down in one organization that you don't think is going to be putting you in a winning position. Juan Soto is somebody who can – you know, hold out for a little bit. And if he continues to put up Juan Soto numbers or something near it, you know, he's not going to be short of offers and money thrown his way by teams that are in a much better chance to, to win the world series and compete for a world series. Well, he's past that point where that this isn't a fluke, you know, you, this isn't the Wander Franco, uh, you know, he played 60 games, you know, well, you know, Juan Soto is one of the best damn players in baseball will be for the next decade and a half is go, like, he's just barring a career ending injury. This is not a guy who like what he is an off year and he bats 290 with a hundred ribbies and 30 jacks. I mean, come on. Um, you know, if I'm Juan Soto personally, one at 13 years, you're already kind of screwing yourself. So I up it. Give me 15. Give me 16. You know, literally like retire me. Give me 500 mil. I want the first. And Patrick Mahomes has signed a 500 million dollar deal in the NFL, but it's not all guaranteed. All MLB contracts are completely guaranteed. Go get the first 500 million dollar guaranteed deal in North American sports history. Go into your career there, and if I'm I, I think that's what you have to. And that, that's the new style in baseball, right? If you're that good, just 
they, they retire you, they end your career, but they're going to pay you a ridiculous amount. Point in case, Mike Trout, $426 million. But if you're looking at, here's the question I pose to you, Max, okay? If you know you're going to sign a 15 or 16-year deal, knowing that the CBAs could change, the competitive balance of baseball could change, we have no clue who's going to be good or not in 10 years. Where do you sign if your biggest parameter is, I want to end my, I'm, I'm signing the career deal, but I want to be with a franchise that wants to win. What teams do you think fits that fit in that bill? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be biased here. Um, one, I, I mean, I wouldn't join the Yankees. I'm just thinking of teams with perennial championships. The team that's won the most World Series, the Yankees, I wouldn't go to the Yankees. The team that's won the second most World Series is the St. Louis Cardinals. Most recently in 2011, then 2006. I mean, they, they've got Nolan, they've got Goldie, they've got O'Neal, Bader, uh, Dylan Carlson coming up, Flaherty, Wayno, Yachty. They got some players. I would go there. Um, I think San Diego is still on the rise. Fernando Tatis is still a young player. Machado, he's got to pick it up a little bit, but he's still playing well. Um I, I'm leaning towards NL teams. I mean, the Dodgers. The Dodgers are obviously one of the best places to go, just because they're um, incredible lineup front to back. Um, let me think. Where else? I mean, Atlanta me, would be a great place to be right now. Let me just quickly hop in there, and it's only because actually in my head, instantly as we were talking about this, it kept coming up to me. The Cardinals. It truthfully did. You know, I was just like, okay, that actually would kind of make sense. And if you're the Cardinals. And you're finally going to drop one of those deals. You got Nolan do that. My one beef with you is that you brought up Yadier Molina. Yadier Molina is going to be 79 years old when this contract ends with Soto. I'm not signing anywhere because the catcher with 2,600 career starts. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's fair. It's his last season. Yeah, but I do agree with all that. And I think that, quite frankly, I think if – now, Juan Soto, you put him on most teams, they instantly win. I think if you put him on the Cardinals, I think they're the front runner in the NL. Um, I would say, you know, you say no Yankees. The only thing about the Yankees that I'm thinking is you know, and it's the same thing with the Dodgers, those two teams. Pending there's not some crazy renegotiation and the implementation of a cap, which I don't think we'll see for a while. At least they already said it's not coming in this deal. You know those two teams will always spend money. Now, will they get the best stars around you? No. Look at New York. They have a ridiculous payroll. These players aren't really performing, but they'll at least try. I do think the Cardinals, are they're always trying to make some moves, you know, bringing in Arenado. Um, you know, the Braves worry me. I, I don't know. It's a tough, you yeah, know, I mean, San Diego. I don't know. I mean, one thing about the Cardinals is, like, they also – they're not huge spenders – I mean, they, they obviously picked up Arenado's huge contract, but they also basically got Colorado to pay them to take it. Um, and they've got big players on their payroll. But I also worry that the Cardinals aren't really in a big need for an outfielder right now. Tyler O'Neill is going to be one of the top players in baseball. Harrison Bader is the best defensive center fielder. Uh, and Dylan Carlson, I mean... He's a young guy, but him in right field is great with Lars Newbar too. But, I mean, if, 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 you, if you can take Juan Soto, you take Juan Soto. I just don't really see it happening. Um, but it would be awesome. I, I mean, I don't know where he would go, really. Um, the thing is, I, I, I would love biased 
him to go to LA. And of course, I think they could do it. If you can get, if you somehow have an outfield of Juan Soto, Cody Bellinger, and Mookie Betts, even with 200 hitting Cody Bellinger, that is nuts. That is ridiculous. But I'm thinking for the, like, there's just, there's so much money already, so many big contracts. How are you going to have Mookie Betts on a 13 year deal? And then do that. I really, I don't, and I may be completely wrong. I don't think the Dodgers are in this sweepstakes at all, unfortunately. No. And and I guess just to clarify, like, it's not like Juan Soto's not going to be playing on the Nationals this season. He's going to be on the Nationals for this season, maybe the next season too. But down the line, you know, he's clearly looking at other options of, you know, where he could go. So it'll be something to keep our eye on, you know, years down the line. As of course, this podcast will still be going years down the line. Yeah, why wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> I think you know. There's another argument. You know, maybe he goes to the Blue Jays somewhere like that, where the the young talent is stupid ripe. You know, just go okay. I got Boba Shet. I got Vlad Guerrero. You know, and it's hard. It's what do you tie to organization? Do you tie to young players and and build around that? Uh, the good news room is either way, your team's going to be your team at least is going to have one of the best batters in the MLB as long as you show up. Uh, you know, I mean, if the Angels went crazy and splashed, and you can march out Otani, Juan Soto, and Mike Trout, if you're a pitcher and you have to face that, that's the rotation you're looking at. I think that you just like decide to be a substitute teacher and leave the stadium like mid game, right? I mean, dude, if you make me pitch against those three guys, I'm not pitching. I'm not going out there. Right, right. I guess we'll have to keep our eye on it. I mean, um, it'll be – I mean, it's always interesting when, when you have one of the top players in baseball. No, we're not going to say he's looking for a way out because I also think through 13 years, $350 million might be a little undervaluing for him, and I think he knows it. But clearly he wants to be on a team that's winning, and the Nationals aren't a team that's winning. So we'll have to see what happens. Um, but let, let's know. move along. Go ahead, go ahead. I have I just one last thing I want to say in the Nationals not winning. It's not even that it's necessarily a cultural thing, but like them winning the, their World Series was just a perfect storm, the culmination of everything. We talked about getting hot at the right time. You have guys, oh. Howie Kendrick, showing up and batting like monsters. It's not an organization that year over year is World Series contenders. They're solid. I mean, they're not, you know, they're probably in the top 50% of the league, but, you know, they're not. If he's looking for that top five upper echelon, that's not it, but I do agree. I mean, I think think we'll cover it and, and we'll see where where he ends up uh, ends up going. And I like that point about the perfect storm. Like, if you remember early in that 2019 season, Nationals were at the bottom of the NL East and the bottom of the NL, but Strasburg stayed healthy. Scherzer was unbelievable. Rendon had an MVP type season. Soto, you know, came out of nowhere. Was this 20 year old, 19 year old kid who ended up being a major player for them? It was a perfect storm. Um, but yeah, let's let's move on to something else. This is something that we talked about last week, um, kind of a, a, a more depressing story, but the death of Tyler Skaggs and the trial surrounding it. There's already a verdict. You know, I, I didn't expect this to move this quickly, but like we talked about last week, former communications director Eric Kay of the Los Angeles Angels was found guilty of distributing fentanyl and causing the death of Tyler Skaggs. He faces a minimum sentence of 20 years. They basically concluded that nobody else could have provided Tyler Skaggs with the drugs that ended up killing him. And so, you know, I guess they didn't, they, they ruled that that was beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, He was proven guilty and sentenced. They haven't 
uh, actually sentenced him yet, but he was found guilty. This was an interesting trial this week. A lot of MLB players kind of got tied into it because there was reports being made that this was a larger network of drug use within the Angels organization than just Skaggs and Eric Kay. Um, you know, we talked about that attendant last week at the umpire stand who was distributing some drugs. One big uh, thing that came out of this was Matt Harvey, who's currently um, a free agent. He received federal immunity to testify um, and kind of avoid prosecution because he said that he um, distributed pain pills, uh, including Percocets, to Tyler Skaggs and other players. He's not going to be prosecuted because he was given federal immunity to testify. Um, but the MLB will likely still suspend him if a team were to sign him, which at this point seems up in the air. He could face up to a 60-game suspension for the drug distribution. Some other players who testified, CJ Cron, Mike Moore, and Cam Bedstroshan and Blake Parker all testified their own opioid use, but did not say that they ever distributed it. Um, so it seems like this was kind of a wider thing within the Angels organization. It's really sad. Um, you know, I, I, I don't really feel like I have the knowledge of the, the situation to say whether it was the right verdict or not. It seemed like there was a lot of unfortunate things going on and a lot of addiction going on. And Eric K just, I mean, they seem to prove that it was him who provided him who provided Skaggs with the painkillers. Obviously, we can't say, you know, that Eric K killed him. I guess. It's just a touchy subject. But the ruling was Eric K was found guilty. He'll face a minimum of 20 years. It's a sad story. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's one of those where you put it great. We don't really know what happened. And in cases like that, I try and refer to the experts. So I'm going to assume between the jury, the prosecution, you know, the judge, that the, that the justice system has worked itself out here. I know it doesn't always perfectly work, but I operate, I like to operate under that assumption and, and just say that in the eyes of the court, at least, Tyler Skaggs is getting some sort of justice. Um, obviously, I don't think another man going to jail in exchange for your life is really a deal that anyone would particularly take. Uh, it still is just a terribly unfortunate thing. You have a kid who clearly, you know, if you get to the MLB, it had to be a huge dream. That just doesn't happen. Um, and regardless, just, you know, passing like that, it, it's not something you, you like to see. But I do think when you, when you look at the title of it, to have a, a business officer, yeah, I mean, anyone in the organization distributing drugs to players is a terrible and problematic thing. But when you have a business officer that shouldn't even be in the clubhouse operations, you know, that should be in the offices doing the business of the team. And that's what ends up, you know, killing and taking pictures from you. And you've got CJ Cron on this list and Matt Harvey and all those who are in this, this drug circle, you know. I start to not to make light of a situation, but I start to understand why the Angels have been a dumpster fire and unable to win with the greatest player in baseball in the last 30 years on their lineup. Uh, this is why. Um, so, you know, and, and obviously you can't point it all to this, but, you know, I don't think there's too much to say here with the specifics. I, I, I also will make a little bit of a comedy point that in one week the criminal justice system moved and prosecuted this person before 
uh, players and owners could even agree to the simplest of terms in a CBA. Um, but, you know, it's very unfortunate. Again, you know, condolences to Tyler Skaggs and his entire family. Um, hopefully they find some sort of justice or closure, at least by wrapping up the court proceedings here. And hopefully a situation like this doesn't ever occur anywhere, but particularly in the MLB. Yeah, well said. Um, I don't have anything else to say on this. I, I, I wasn't, we weren't even really planning on talking about this, but because it was just the trial wrapped up, which I didn't really expect it to. I mean, I wasn't following it extremely closely, but since there was a verdict read, I thought we'd provide an update, but let's move on. Let's let's so outside of current news, um, a couple months ago, ESPN put out their top hundred all time MLB players at the beginning of the month, February 1st. Um, they put out a full list, a hundred players who they consider the top, a hundred players all time in baseball. And for context, they said based on career war, so that's wins above replacement, hall of fame status, peak performance and overall contributions to the game. We selected an initial pool of more than 200 players from both the major leagues and Negro leagues dating back to the late 19th century, plus a few of today's biggest stars. From there, we asked dozens of ESPN editors and writers to contribute to a balloting system that pits players from the list against each other in head-to-head voting. The question we posed, based on a combination of career value and peak performance, which player would you rank higher? And and so, I mean, we're not going to break down this whole list, but there are important things we want to say. James, I'll kick it to you first if if there's any way you want to kind of introduce your thoughts about the topic. Okay, first of all, um, before I even really get into the topic, that was the first I heard of this description of their criteria. To me, the entire list is invalidated. If even 1% of the criteria is the importance to the game of baseball, then having Jackie Robinson not be the number one player on the list invalidates the entire thing in my eyes. I am biased as I'm a gigantic Jackie Robinson uh, fan, but I also I always can see things unbiased in terms of the playing thing. But if you're talking importance, in my opinion, Jack Robinson is the most important athlete to ever walk the planet. Um, but I'm going to get off that soapbox there. I said my piece. Uh, as for the actual list, I just think it's stupid. It's a stupid list to compile because baseball has such a long history and it's been such an evolving game that you can't. How do you put a guy from 130 years against a guy who has modern weight training and technology? And, you know, it, I don't know. It's an impossible list. Yeah. That's kind of what I wanted to talk about on this list is we'll talk about some of the players on it, but it's just a stupid list. I mean, you're comparing players who some of these players like died a hundred years ago. And so if the question is like, who's the best baseball player? Right. If that's the list we're compiling, you I I mean, as great as Babe Ruth was and he is number one on this list, as great as he was, he was playing against part timers and plumbers who were playing in the MLB in the early 1900s. I would I mean, like if you took Juan Soto and put him in that era, of course, he would slug and go crazy. But like you said, because nutrition's different, the game's different, the training's different. That's not really what it's about. So the alternative is then you have to contextualize each of these players within their era and contextualize their dominance within their own era. 
and to, to make this type of list, which I just don't think it's like worth anybody's time to actually think about. You know, like I said, Babe Ruth was playing against plumbers and whatever, and that's not to take away from the fact he was a great player, a great baseball player in his era, hitting, you know, 700 home runs or whatever it is, and, and, and pitching and, and just being one of the greatest players of all time. But is he a better baseball player than some of the modern day players? Probably not. But, you know, you got to take it with a grain of salt. I just think it's ridiculous comparing players in the 1800s to players now. It's like comparing apples and oranges. The training's different. The game's different. The nutrition's different. Everything front to back about it is different. And so, you know, you just got to take it with a grain of salt. But I do think they made some ridiculous oversights within this list. Um, and I'll, I, I don't know if you have anything else to say about the, you know, macroscopic view of the list. I'll give the floor to you again. Well, you know, I like what you said about the only way to even do this would be contextualize your value to an era and then contextualize all eras against each other and try and get there. But again, it's like you said, look, if you had a time machine and you took a healthy Jake DeGrom from the start of last year's season and put him in a World Series, he would legitimately throw a 27 out, like up, down, up, down, up, down, perfect, complete game, like None of these guys in that era saw a 100-mile-an-hour cutter just nail a corner and paint it like Van Gogh. I mean, get out of here. And it's, you know, Babe Ruth, his importance to the game, I would say, is right there behind Jackie Robinson being, you know, the first guy to really bust it open and, and really making professional sports what they are and really the first U.S. celebrity. You know, and there's a ton of value in that. But, again, like I just look at some of this, um, you know uh, – it's just, it's such a weird list. Um, but like you said, there are some oversights that we can talk about. And, and just one real quick that I would point to because it works with the whole air argument. Christy Mathewson has the best pitching stats ever recorded in the MLB. I mean, it's like filthy. He is nearly a sub one ERA, I'm pretty sure. And he's 25th on the list. And it's like, well, now you're at a weird spot. Cause it's like, well, you're the best stats ever but you're 25 on the list at arguably the most important position on the list. And I get that because yeah, right now he would be at best a fourth option on an MLB club, but then it's like in a whole way, doesn't that kind of show how stupid the list is? Right. Right. I mean, it's just like what it's almost, it just begs the question, like what are we really like trying to rank here? Are we ranking careers I wouldn't say so because Trout is 15 and he's like midway through his career at, at minimum um, or at most. And so it's not really about their career then. I mean, they gave all those criteria, but still it's like if you put Bryce Harper in the 20s, he would slug. But if you put Babe Ruth in modern day, I don't think he would slug because it's a different game. Does that mean Bryce Harper is a better player and should be ranked higher? Probably not. But, you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, it's, it's all for fun. We don't need to look into it too much. Some highlights, some current players who are on it. Bryce Harper comes in at 94. Um, Justin Verlander at 72. Scherzer at 65. Miggy Miguel Cabrera at 59. Kershaw at 52. Joke. Uh, you, have, you have Albert at 30, which is just unbelievable that they think Albert Pujols is the 30th best player of all time. 
Jeter's at 28 and you have Albert behind him. I mean, I, uh, whatever. And What's Mike weird Trout, there is they played in the same era. Before you finish, and actually I'll let you round that your list because Mike Trout is the last of the modern era. Yeah, players. Trout 15. You know, and, and I only want to say this so that you can be recused of any Cardinals bias, and then I'll let you jump right back in. But Derek Jeter and Albert Pujols played in the same era. They played versus each other at times. You can literally, there's no contextualization to say here. Anyone in their right mind who thinks Derek Jeter is a better baseball player and had a better career than Albert Pujols, I don't think knows that much about the game of baseball, quite frankly. Yeah, I, I just don't really get that. And, like, I think Albert's a top 10 player all time. I mean, three MVPs. He's about to hit 700 homers. He's clearly one of the best players of all time. And putting Jeter ahead of him. Or, and it's also just, like, looking at this list, it's like how do you compare pitchers with batters and, like, who's better, who provides more value, but how do you judge the value? You know, I don't know. Some other highlights here. Uh, Roger Clemens at 17, because we've talked about him, which I think is he should be higher on the list. You have Griffey at 13. I think he should be higher. Uh, top 10 list. So top 10, you have 10 is Stan the Man Mutual, Cardinal Legend. Nine, you have Walter Johnson. Eight is Barry Bonds. I mean, Barry Bonds should probably be number one. He's clearly the greatest hitter of all time, probably the greatest batter or player of all time. Uh Seven, Mickey Mantle. Six, Lou Gehrig. Five, Ted Williams. Four, Ty Cobb. Three, Hank Aaron. Two, Willie Mays. One, Babe Ruth. I mean, I think up top here, you you know, you could put them in a lot of different orders, but, you know, these are probably the top four or five players. I mean, Willie Mays, Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, Ted Williams, they're all going to be up there. Mickey Mantle. Bonds, I think, should be higher, but, you know, people have their opinions about him. Is there anything else you really want to highlight here? Um, I do want to just give a shout-out to Luke Gehrig, who obviously helps us with our intro uh, and is one of the luckiest men alive. You know, other things that I I want to highlight, though, and and I agree with your take. Honestly, when you get to that top five, especially when you're looking at, to me, between Babe Ruth, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, and Barry Bonds, you can run cartwheels of how to rank that four, and you can't mess it up. I mean, that it's, you know, and Ted Williams is right in that boat, you know. So there's a lot you can do. Specifically on the list, things that stand out to me, uh, you know, you got Koufax at 32. I'm not sure I agree with it. Koufax is one of the weirder situations in baseball because his career was cut so short. I think it's one of the biggest travesties to happen in baseball. I think if you got Koufax's full career, he's undoubtedly a top 10 player and probably a top five starter. Um, So, you know, there's some going on there. Uh, I'll keep it in the realm of me complaining about Dodgers pitchers just to keep everything nice and in order. The fact that Clayton Kershaw is 52 on this list is just sickening. Uh, You know, and I'll be the first to tell you, if the list was playoff pitchers, then sure, maybe we can have an argument, and maybe he's not even up to 52. But that's not the list. And if you look, if there hasn't been a pitcher in the modern era that's really operating at the levels in the sustained career as Kershaw. I mean, the next would be Scherzer. That's kind of your one-two combo um, in similar careers. But to throw that, that great of a career at 52, it's just nuts because, like we said, he's a no-doubt Hall of Famer. I have no question uh, – that when the first ballot comes out, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, so 
I don't know. You got to think he's better than than fifty two. I mean, like you have, it's hard. Like, man, I look at some of these and it's just like, I don't know. Is Bob Feller a better player than Clayton Kershaw in the grand scheme of things? Probably not. You know, is Ichiro? It's a good argument. Ichiro is great, but like being the ace of a team for thirteen years, like ah, it, it once again it comes into like that hitting versus pitching and the value there. Um, I don't know. Is there anyone else that you wanted to call out on the list that seemed like a little bit of a snob? I mean, not really. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that people could talk about in here. Randy Johnson at 24. You mentioned Koufax at 32. Right behind him is Bob Gibson at 33. I think he should be a little higher. I mean, it's another Cardinal player, and I don't want to drag on about that, but Bob Gibson literally changed the game. He's the one who made them uh, raise the mounds. So, uh, I mean, Pete Rose, 34. You got a lot. I mean, I, I don't want to drag on about this. I mean, you I, can, I'll go. You can, go ahead. I'll give one last closing thought on the matter. And because this one's just a completely unbiased, although he is part of one of my favorite baseball moments, you have Yogi Berra, uh, well, where is he on the side? Sitting at 39, which to me is just a joke piece. The dude won 10 championships. I don't care what's going – like, I don't care if you're the worst player ever. If a team keeps you on board for 10 years and you win 10 championships, I mean, and, and they have Johnny Bench in front of him, I don't know how you possibly can argue that Johnny Bench is a better all-time catcher than Yogi Berra. I mean, once again, you know, more modern era. Yeah, but – I don't know, 39 to me for a guy who's won 10 championships seems just ridiculous. You know, and it's not just he won 10 championships. He was great. He was a great, fantastic player through all those championships. Yeah, and and I, I said raised the mound. Bob Gibson actually lowered the mound, but that doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I mean, I you know, look, I don't have anything else to say about the top 100 list. I've seen, I've watched videos of people dissecting the whole thing. Um, but look, it is what it is. It's just a fun list. I think it's kind of pointless to make these lists, but it's inevitable that they'll be made, you know, whatever. You know, quite frankly, the real purpose of this, this is why the hall of fame exists. This is honestly why the hall of fame exists because you can't. So it's just like, okay, they're, they're an HOF. That's the credibility. You get it. Now, can you do that anymore since they refuse to let Clemens, Barry Bonds, or anyone else who's really has been incredibly good in the last 20 years into the Hall of Fame? Except for you, Big Poppy. Uh, I don't know. But like you said, there's no point in the list, but especially when we're locked out, it's all we got. So I don't know. Max, maybe if we don't resolve this lockout for opening day, maybe we'll make the top 200 list and just keep it rolling and just see how many <laughs> different names we can put on an Excel sheet. Yeah, let's mark that down. All right. I mean, well, let's, you know, go ahead. I was just going to say with that, let, you know, let's wrap that up, wrap this topic up. I know the next one, this is going to be our last segment. I'm really excited about, um, you know, we talked about how excited we are for the universal DH, but there is a flip to that coin and the flip to getting the universal DH is that we are losing the comedy, the joy, the struggle, the embarrassment, any of the adjectives you want to pick to describe pitchers having a hit at the MLB level, uh, we're missing missing out on that. So I think the highlight that experience, uh, 
we tasked each other to, to come to this pod with our three favorite pitcher hitting moments. So pitchers at the plate swinging the bat. Let's go back and forth. Let's talk about the three, and uh, let's see if we can't relive the joys of a pitcher having to hit a baseball uh, one last time. Yeah, I'll start. I mean, hopefully we don't have overlap. I don't think you would have chose any of mine, but I'm hoping that the avoidance of overlap didn't cause us to leave some out. But um, I'll go first. How about I have a hit from 2008, King Felix Hernandez. Him, um, since he was in Seattle for most of his career, I I think all of his career, um, he didn't get a lot of chances to bat, obviously, with the DH being in the American League. And so in 2008, he had only bat eight times thus far. He had one single. He was one for eight, one signal, single, and six strikeouts. And he came into a game in 2008 in the second inning. It was a, a point in the inning where they were playing the Mets in interleague play, so that's why he's batting. David Wright, right before this, the third baseman for the Mets, had a chance to get them out of the inning. But he made an error. They called it an E5. Bases ended up being loaded. King Felix steps up to the plate. First pitch is just absolutely nuked to right field. Uh, that was pretty awesome. I mean, he was a young kid then, but after being one for eight, he never batting, striking out six times when you do bat, and just bombing a grand slam on the first pitch you see, that was pretty awesome, and, and that, that was a good moment. Yeah, I, well, first of all, just – King Felix in itself, what an awesome player to watch. Uh, his perfect game, one of the best moments. We talked about it last week. Joe West got to call that game, 2012, I believe. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a good one. I- I'm going to go ahead and get this out of the way because anyone who semi-watches baseball knows where I'm going. It's, to me, the most iconic in the history of pitchers batting, and that's got to be big sexy Bartolo Colon. <laughs> The big man himself had to be pushing 350 on this fateful day, May 7, 2016. And Big Sex was famous for absolutely swinging out of his shoes, physically swinging out of his helmet more times than he didn't, you know, getting himself all twisted up. Never did anything with it, uh, except this one day, May 7, 2016. Uh, he was playing for the Mets at the time. They were in Petco Park playing the Padres. And he loads up that big old famous swing, swings for the fences, spinorama, helmets off. But where's the baseball? It's gone. It's out of here. It's over the fence. The one and only home run of Bartolo Colon's. And arguably, for a pitcher who actually had a great career and racked up uh, an AL Cy Young, this definitely is his most famous moment, which is wild to think that a Cy Young pitcher's most notorious moment is him hitting one home run because he was so bad it's unfathomable that he actually nailed one. Yeah, that was the one I was hoping. I was hoping you had that on your list, to be honest, because I, I, I didn't put it on mine because I thought you would. I'm glad you I'm glad you brought it up. I, um, we, you couldn't miss that. I mean, the whole the Mets dugout was dying. Everyone was dying. The broadcasters, great day. Uh, I turn it back over to you for your next moment. Top that one. Yeah, I'll, I'll, this is actually a game I watched. I remember watching it uh, back in 2006. This was um, Adam Wainwright, his first ever at bat, and his first ever pitch he saw, just a bomb. It was pretty great. First pitch of Wainos, you know, first time he ever faced a pitch as a pitcher in the big leagues, hit a home run, 
it was a pretty awesome moment. And watching Wayno do it, I mean, he looks so young. Obviously, this was 16 years ago or whatever. Um, but yeah, that was that was an awesome moment for me. You know, I'll actually I'll keep that in the same spirit with you of our guys, our aces, go-to franchise guys, hitting jacks. And this may be one of my favorite baseball games that's ever just happened. Uh, and that's got to be opening day, 2013. Los Angeles Dodgers are playing the San Francisco Giants. Obviously, heated NL West rivalry. Um, and Clayton Kershaw hops on the mound, and he's absolutely obliterating and operating. And just for context, he ended the game through a complete game shutout. So, you know, not a perfect game, not a no-hitter, but it's right there. Complete game, no-no or complete game shutout. Love it. But at one point it was 0-0. I believe it was the sixth inning. Um, You know, don't quote me on that. It has been a bit of time since then, eight years to be exact, or nine years now, Jesus. Um, But Clay Kershaw winds up, jacks a homer, and takes the lead. This is Kershaw smacking it. He's up 1-0. Unfortunately, the Dodgers did pile in three more runs to win the game 4-0. But – Clayton Kershaw threw the opening day, complete game, shut out while having the go-ahead run as a solo homer that he jacked. So in a way, you can think of that as Clayton Kershaw single-handedly beating the San Francisco Giants that fateful day. Yeah, and kind of a similar vein, not the, not the same vein that you took, but opening day, my last one, uh, back in 2017, Madison Bumgarner, who was – a notoriously good hitter for a pitcher, um, all things considered. On opening day in 2017, he had two home runs in that game uh, against the Diamondbacks, including the second one was a go-ahead solo shot in the seventh inning. Uh, He was the only pitcher ever to have two home runs on opening day, which, like, you know, that's not that surprising. But... That, that was a pretty cool moment, seeing him. Who's He's always had great moments. He's always been one to shine in the spotlight, first of all. But but one of the better uh, hitters, he's, I think, a 183 average on his career, which for a pitcher is very good. But to have two home runs on opening day, including a go-ahead solo shot, is pretty awesome. Yeah, that that's certainly something that, you know, maybe we add that to the unbreakable records. Uh, well, I guess it, it technically is – Definitely an unbreakable record yeah. at this point since pitchers won't be hitting. So congratulations uh, to podcast listeners. You just got a free segment. Unbreakable record, Mad Bum, two home runs opening day. Congratulations to Mad Bum for also getting that record. Give us a retweet. Um, and with that, I'm going to forcefully take the floor from you. Uh, and in a way to show my complete lack of bias, this, my final one, my pitcher batting moment actually came off of Clayton Kershaw. He threw the pitch that was jacked. So it's kind of interesting. I put it on the list, but I just think if you're talking actual moments in MLB, that's just like, oh my gosh, look what pitchers can do. It's got to be NLCS. We're talking playoffs. 2018, game one. Brandon Woodruff, obviously very good reliever for the Brewers at the time, uh, was operating – and they did not want to pull him. They wanted to keep him on the mound, so they sent him up to bat. Uh, and he nuked, absolutely 
nuked a home run off of Clayton Kershaw. It was very sad um, at the time, as you can imagine, for me. But, you know, that was the first time in Clayton Kershaw's life that he gave up a home run to a uh, left-handed pitcher. Um, so Or left-handed batting pitcher. Uh, and that was the first postseason homer by a left-handed pitcher since 1984. Um, so I just thought just for hitting one of the best pitchers of the generation, a home run as a pitcher in the National League Championship Series, it had to crack the list. And it was obviously a home game in Milwaukee for them. So crowd was going nuts. And it was a piss missile, by the way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I, th- I mean, those were six good ones. I, and there are more. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, obviously, pitchers have been batting forever, but – those were six really good ones. I, I don't think we really had any that I wanted to touch on that we didn't bring up. Um, I'm sure I'm sure everybody has some that they remember. Let us know on Twitter, uh, rounding third now, 3RD. If you have any you know great memories of watching pitchers hit, watching pitchers do something amazing at the plate, let us know. Um, James, that wraps it up, episode 11. Uh, do you have any final That's, words? That's uh... – I will say my my final words on this are if you made it this far into the pod, congratulations. I hope baseball returns for you. If you tweet at rounding third now a gif or a video of your favorite pitcher hitting the, you know, hitting moment or whatever, I'll retweet it and then I'm going to DM you and I'm going to send you cash money. That is how bad I just at least want to see a clip of a pitcher jacking it. Uh, so first one to do it, I'm giving you 20 bucks. I'll DM you. I'll get the Venmo. Let's make it happen. Um, show me your favorite moment. And don't copy any of, any of ours. I want to see a seventh moment. Um, and just also feel free to tweet the uh, Bartolo Colon gif hitting the home run. I'm sure I'll send one out on our account as well because – what a moment. Um, good pod here. I don't even know what news we're going to have to cover anymore in the future since we're, we are we are locking out of covering the lockout. That's where I am, Max. I don't know if you're in this lockout with me, but I'm doing it. I'm sitting out. No more lockout coverage till it's over. That's fine with me. I'm so sick of this crap, to be honest. Like, just figure it out. Well, let's save baseball, and in the meantime, folks, we will try and entertain you to the best of our abilities and can't wait to start the season someday. Thanks for tuning in. Awesome. Thank you, everybody.